Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I'm streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And I am super excited to have back on our show the man, the myth, the legend, my twin brother, Shane Needham, bodybuilding champion, powerlifting champion, and all around good guy and a super smart individual. Shane, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you very much. I'm super excited to be here. So let's tell our audience a little bit about um, how this conversation came up. Um, I started a few months ago basically discussing how, you know, in healthcare, we're, we're so good about testing, doing laboratory tests and all these kind of laboratory tests just tell how healthy somebody is. And I made a short little quick video saying I'm done for myself. I've been chasing labs for the last couple of years just to see how healthy I am. And some will show up that I'm not healthy, i.e. one of the, my glucose, for instance. And my glucose runs a little high. Well, why does my glucose run high? My glucose runs high because I burn glucose. I'm an endurance athlete. And when I do bike rides, my glucose averages 140, which if anybody's never done a continuous glucose monitor, it's interesting to find out what happens. Exercise will increase your glucose while you're exercising. So um, I'm burning that glucose. So my glucose runs a little bit high. Somebody that doesn't know me, i.e. a doctor that doesn't know me, will say, well, Sean, you're pre-diabetic. Well, why don't we just think about this for a while? What's my insulin level? My insulin level was super low. Anyway, once I did that process, I'm like, you know what? I'm done chasing labs. We don't need labs to tell people that they're healthy. Why don't we just look at people? We can look at people to see if they're healthy or not. And usually people that have metabolic syndrome and they have bad glucoses, which even though mine was bad, mine wasn't unhealthy, we can tell that by looking at them. So then I made it, I had a discussion with you and you kind of talked about the history of laboratory testing and because you're an expert in that subject, that's why we're having you on. So go from there. So yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks for the introduction. So um, I, I certainly am, you know, I'm, I'm not painted with one brush, but um, I'm a, a disciple. I'm a soon to be husband. I mean, I'm engaged to a wonderful lady. I'm also a father of four. I'm a, also a scientist. I'll get to that in a minute because that's where my laboratory testing expertise comes from. But I'm also a national bodybuilding champion, a state powerlifting champion. I've done podcasts as well, pod, my own podcast. I'm an author, so on and so forth. But what we're going to be talking about today is called analytical chemistry. And that means where you're analyzing your blood or maybe urine or whatever it is, and then you're doing a chemical test. We also call can call that precision medicine. In our field, we call it precision medicine. It's, it's looking at your laboratory test to say, hey, are you optimal or not? And this industry is only 50 years old. And the, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get into too much of the history, and I've, I've written on this before and done some other blogs on this, but um, and some presentations. But analytical chemistry, as we think of it about today, where you're doing lab testing, is less than 100 years old for sure. And it's always getting better and better. So we have more and more instruments. And the reason we test these, the reason we do certain tests biologically, you know why? Because we can. That's it. Do the numbers actually mean you're healthy or not? No, not necessarily. Okay, so remember, what did you do 100 years ago? Somebody would say, well, take this herb, see if you feel better. Oh, I don't feel better. Well, take more, see if you get sick. Oh, I, I got sick. Okay, take a little bit less. Oh, I feel really good now. I feel really well. That's how it used to be done. 
And that's how we've done it historically, you know, in, in like medicinal plants and herbs and so on and so forth. A lot of these things are actually in nature, right? And that's how we used to do it. We would take this, and Sean, certainly you know better, better than I do, but certainly you would take a certain medication, see if you felt better. Like you'd go, you'd go to your shaman, right, in your tribe, and you'd say, man, I, I, I have a sore throat. And he'd give you some piece of bark or something. And he'd say, here, take this. Do you feel better? No, not really. Well, here, take a little bit of more or I'll give you something else. Well, now I threw up or I, you know, I got dizzy. Okay, we'll take less. Oh, yeah, now I feel great. That's how it used to be done. Now what we can do, and it's actually very, very good that we can actually do these tests. And science has been absolutely great in the evolution of analytical instrumentation, whether it be mass spectrometry, chromatography, these other types of tests, right? Now what we do is typically you'll you'll tell your doctor, well, I don't feel well. So you go in and you take a, a, a series of tests, right? And they say, okay, your electrolytes are low or your blood glucose is high or whatever it has. Now, I think there can be a need for that. I agree with Sean. The first thing the doctor should look at, actually, not the doctor, you, the individual, look in the mirror. And when you say metabolic disorder, Sean, what do you mean by that? Is there is there a specific metabolic disorder you're talking about? That's a very broad range. Oh, well, I mean, for one, uh, type 2 diabetes. But again, because the way we diagnose it, um, in our precision medicine, our analytical medicine, um, some people will have type two diabetes before they have a high glucose, but you check their insulin level and it's super high, which means they're insulin resistant. So really you should look at a person, you know, if they're 150 pounds overweight and they're not diabetic or they're not diagnosed as diabetic yet, cause their glucoses don't meet that range. Believe me, they're a diabetic. They have metabolic problems already. You know they do. They're 150 pounds overweight. So they are not metabolizing um, their glucose like they should, i.e. they're probably releasing a lot of insulin and they still have, um, but they but they still have um, normal glucoses for now. But that doesn't mean that that they're they're uh, metabolically healthy. Right. So so metabol is 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 obesity a metabolic disorder? Absolutely. Okay. So you said you actually said. You, you actually said type 2 diabetes. That is a, what would you say, a subcategory or it is caused by obesity in general? Correct. Okay. Correct. Let's just say. Not, not always. Yes. For you haters out there that think I'm fat shaming and think I'm always, you know, picking on obese people, even though it's the most dangerous thing we can do as American. Yes. There are exceptions to that rule. There are thin people that are type 2 diabe diabetics. It is but rare. Let's remember what the diagnosis of diabetes is. It literally means diabetes mellitus. It literally means honey siphon. You are urinating out too much sugar. Um, still, sugar comes from carbohydrates in our food. No matter what, if you're obese or not obese, if you have type 2 diabetes, if you limit your carbohydrates, you will reverse your diabetes, period. And a lot of type two diabetics, diabetics that aren't overweight, it's because they possibly um, drank too much and like ruined their pancreas or something, or had some other disease of the pancreas. And that's, yeah. it, again, it's probably environmental. I'm not saying that's always the case, but point of it is, obesity is the most dangerous thing we can do. I think it's the number one killer now. Is that true? The number one. Absolutely, it's true. It, it passed up smoking in 2016. More people die of cardiovascular disease related to obesity than smoking. Period. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so let's get that done over with. So I think, in other words, you should be able to even tell yourself, you know, are you are you moving? When I say moving, I don't mean walking and counting your steps every day. 
Okay, I'm not going to shame anybody here, but that's a waste of time. No, no, no. Let's back up on that. Remember, you're a competitive bodybuilder. I'm a competitive mountain bike racer. But when I was obese, 60 pounds heavier, you know, 12 years ago, walking is a start. So okay, you might be right. Start walking is a start. Absolutely, but you have to progress. Here's the here's the research. Here's the research I've read. Walking alone, just by counting the steps that you do every day, is prop is is not making you more healthy than structured exercise where you tell yourself, I'm going to go walk an hour every day. Okay. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. By by going to the refrigerator and opening the door and then going back and watching TV and eating your Doritos, that is not count. It just really doesn't. Bottom (laughs) line is. But but you still have, you still have that pedometer. (laughs) You know, and you can you can click it off the box. I mean, remember, we want to make things easy today. You know, we want to normalize this stuff. So that's what we do. Anyway, back to laboratory tests. My point of it is, is that you should be able to are, are you are you doing structured exercise four or five times a week for an hour each time? Are you do you eat the right foods? You know, are you overweight? And in other words, you know, and I think I've talked about this on, let, on your let's, show before. Let, let's, Remember, Shane, you're overweight. Let's talk about weight versus. I was going to talk about that. Are you obese? You know, male or female, can you look down and see your toes? You should be able to. You know, does does your belly hang over your belt? You know, it shouldn't. It just absolutely shouldn't. And and by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're 8, 18, or 80. That's right. It's all the same. That's right. This is never. This is. Your belly should never do that, male or female, you know. And so most people know if they're overweight and you should, in general, be able to pull up your shirt, look in the mirror and say, hey, can I kind of see the design of my abdominal uh, abdominals? You should be able to see that. So anyway, you should be able to know if you're healthy. That's a healthy person. It just is. You're not going to have metabolic disorders. So if that's all true and you're, you know, you're eating correctly, you're eating whole foods, you're eating a lot of protein, a lot of meat, including red meat. Um, you know, you're eating a lot of meat. What? Red meat? Red meat won't kill us? I know. I, I, thought, it was I thought it was killing the people. <laughs> no. If, you, if you're following that type of a diet and then you, and you're you not eating packaged foods, you're not eating Doritos and Cheetos. I think that – is it Doritos or Cheetos that you always talk about, Sean? <laughs> I get them mixed up. All okay. <laughs> And sometimes so, I use beer, um, sometimes I use wine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so point of it is you're eating whole foods, right? So if you're doing all that and you still don't feel well, visit the doctor. Get your laboratory test done, and maybe for some reason something's going on. Okay, and then that then you can start saying, okay, I don't think of a good number, Sean. Think of something that uh, that scenario. Where somebody somebody might be off, maybe a thyroid or something, maybe. Yeah, let me discuss thyroid. I was okay. going to go into that. So, speaking of laboratory testing, being, I think you said fifty or seventy years old, something like that. I use thyroid example quite frequently, and here's why. So, Armour Thyroid, um, very popular thyroid is called NP Thyroid. Um, it's been around so long; it was pre FDA, so it's not FDA approved because it was around before the FDA was. Actually, NP is. Um, Porcine thyroid. It is literally comes from ground up pig's thyroid. Literally. It came out in the late 1800s, popularized in the 1920s. We didn't have good thyroid testing until 
the 70s. Now, there was some testing in the 50s, but it wasn't very sensitive. You would know more about that than I, I would. Um, so we didn't have good testing until then. So you remember Dr. Richard Munch, right? Yeah. Yeah, he delivered us. He was a, a physician in Othello. He delivered Shane and I in 1970. And I give this story all the time because I will. I was at a I was at a um, seminar one time, and I was educating a bunch of healthcare professionals about thyroid. And Dr. Richard Bunch was there. He'd been practicing in Othello, Washington, since the early 1960s. And I said, "Hey," and then. I was talking about thyroid testing and how important it is to look at labs, to um, treat symptoms and history and not just labs. Labs are a tool to go along with symptoms and history. And I said, and, and, and somebody raised their hand, well, TSH is gold standard. The, the, the endocrinologist says gold standard and we got to use TSH. I'm like, hey, Dr. Munch, back in the room. Back in the 1960s, before you had thyroid testing, did you prescribe thyroid? Yeah, I did. Oh, so tell me how you went about that process. Well, they'd come in with their symptoms and they had symptoms of, you know, losing their hair, low energy, decreased libido, cold extremities, um, depression, low thyroid symptoms. We do a physical exam and we palpate their thyroid. What? You would actually give a physical exam? That's quite a concept. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I mean, we laugh about it, but that's why I'm cynical about it because... Um, it doesn't happen a lot anymore. Yeah. So we palpate their thyroid and then we'd give them a trial of thyroid and we'd see how they did. If they come back, you know, a few weeks later and they said, well, I'm, I'm better, but not quite good enough. Okay. Well, let's increase the dose. Well, I got a little hot at night. I had some hot flashes or my heart, heart raced a little bit. Okay. Let's back off on the dose. No thyroid testing, no laboratory testing. Yeah. And, that's and, and, and I gotta, you might know this cause you have a son that's a type one diabetic you know, we had porcine and bovine insulin back in the 1920s for type 1 diabetes. But I don't think we had glucose testing. So what did they do then? Yeah, well, well, that's a good point. They didn't. Glucose testing didn't come around until the, until the 40s. And then, then it was had to be done in the laboratory. But they just, well, it's a great story because it's insulin is now 100 years old of giving it to type 1 diabetics. Right, 1923, I think Na it was. No, 1922. Was it 22? I okay. just gave a presentation on it a couple of weeks ago at a conference. And basically what they did is – um, you know, these scientists in uh, University of Toronto up in Canada, they had this ward um, at, at, at this medical facility in, in Toronto, and it was just basically sick diabetic kids, right? It was sick diabetic kids who were who were late stage type 1 diabetics and they were dying. They had no muscle tone. They were skinny. They were all unconscious, right? And he had this idea that he was going to extract insulin from this pig um, pancreas, and he started injecting these kids about 20 in a row and by the time he got to the twentieth one, I mean, just it, it was instant. Well, not instant, but by the time he got to the twentieth one, number one started waking up. I know, right? So I mean, it's, almost. It's, it's a wonderful story. But the point is. is, they didn't they didn't test insulin. They couldn't test glucose, and the, but you know, and they were okay. And has personalized testing for type one diabetics um, revolutionized how you treat yourself? You bet. You bet. And so when we say laboratory test, I don't count that as a laboratory test. That is a personal test. That is a personalized medicine test where you're testing your glucose when, via your handheld monitor to see, you know, how much you can eat, what's your, what your um, blood glucose level, what you ate, and then if you need to adjust your insulin levels. Anyway, you get to laboratory tests. You say, hey, we've only had laboratory tests for 30 years of doing TSH, I think. Is that what you said? Correct? TSH, yeah. Yeah. So – for example, let's talk about that a little bit. So these tests 
change all the time. And I'll give you an, an example of a of the prostate test and the range of what's normal changes every three or four years. And you know why that is? It's not because people's ranges change. That's a whole different different story. It's because the tests change. The tests actually are, are better than they used to be. So what we tested 20 years ago and was a good PSA level, for example, for prostate or TSH, it might have been wrong, so to speak. The sensitivity change, is that correct? Yes. It's, it's actually usually selectivity. It's usually selectivity change. So they oh. might get a false positive or a false negative or something like that. So they make more of a selective test. And it's like, okay, this is better now. Does it mean it was wrong before? No. I don't like to say any test is necessarily wrong because it's always data. And then you have to interpret it as a scientist to see what it actually means and what you're going to do with that data. But that just goes to show you that's always going to happen. These tests are always going to be changing. So well, it really does come down to how do I feel? Let, right. let me ask you a question. Like if somebody was on a female on, um, on progesterone, testosterone, estradiol, I mean, like, for example, you talked about extremities with TSH. Does, does, do testosterone or progesterone ever change, like if your extremities are cold or warm or anything like that too? Um, not necessarily directly, but, you know, there's a lot of symptoms that testosterone and thyroid, for instance – um, they mimic each other. So when you look at depression, when you look at energy, when you look at weight gain, when you look at um, things like that, testosterone and thyroid mimic each other. So that you, can't really, you can't really diagnose it with one or the other. You got to do both, you know, especially with females, with males, especially if they're in their late 40s, or early 50s or, or beyond. It's pretty easy. It's testosterone. But with women, it, it can be um, their thyroid um, issues also. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, so, so I think let's, laboratory let's back up just a little bit. Yeah, let's back up just a little bit. When you said the scientist has to interpret the data, that's a great point. And I say this all the time when I'm when I'm educating healthcare providers on on how to test hormone levels. The important thing is is know what know what um, test to order, but also how to interpret the data. And sometimes it's worthless. Yeah, I mean, like for instance, and I say I. You won't believe how you can take the wind out of somebody's sails, whether it be a patient or whether it be a healthcare provider, because the patient has not been taking their testosterone for like a week and they check their level and they're back down to baseline. Well, of course they are. Cool. I mean, it's a wasted test. It is a wasted test if you're trying to find out what kind of dose to put them on. So, or we see the same thing. You test it right after they, they administer the testosterone. It's too high. Levels are high. Oh my gosh, the guy's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> take a deep breath. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Okay. If you don't like that level, wait about five or six hours and it'll be back down to 800. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you have to know how to interpret it appropriately. That's why sometimes, and here's the problem. And this is why, why I kind of want to have you on. I think there's a problem when you start chasing labs. I was guilty of that with my glucose. When I had a continuous glucose monitor, I was chasing my labs. First of all, and you can, why don't you hit on this subject too, about what's happened with personal glucose testing, including continuous glucose monitoring. People eat like crap and then they chase their labs. You know what? If you eat consistently and you know how you exercise and you know what to do with your body, you don't need to test, right? That's true. Is that true. Is that true with diabetics too? Let's not get too specific because I know there's some details, but in general, 
That's true. In fact, we already said that in 1922 when we gave people insulin, we weren't monitoring it, and we made them. We 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 um we brought them back from the dead. They, they survived, but the, it wasn't optimized, and laboratory tests didn't help that either because you had to go to a lab. So 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 for type one diabetics, you have to have a handheld device where you're going to be able to understand um, your, your actual your actual levels. But you're right, you. I think one of the biggest disservices to type one diabetics and especially type two diabetics, which is all environmental. If you were a type two diabetic, you caused it. You caused it. You overate. You 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 loaded up your pancreas. You stressed out your pancreas. That is all reversible. It's all reversible with a change of lifestyle. Get moving. Um, get rid of your carbohydrates. You don't need those. Okay. You just don't. For your lifestyle, you probably don't. I'm telling you, you had too many in the first place. Okay, that's true. But for a type one diabetic, as an example, um, that if you absolutely should be on a low carbohydrate diet, you will never. I think one of the biggest disservices in our industry is a continuous glucose monitor for type one diabetics and a insulin pump. Horrible. You know why? Because it makes it seem like it's an awfully convenient disease. It, it creates bad habits. Creates very bad habits. So you can go in and hey, you know what? The insulin pump manufacturers and continuous glucose people talk about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, like you can have like a party setting where it just it ups your it, it ups your insulin. Like seriously. You and your endocrinologist, the bad ones anyway, which most of them are. They actually yeah. are. They'll tell you, yeah, so it'd be like, you know, if you're just snacking all day on a New Year's Eve party. No. On cookies and cake. Just don't. You, <laughs> you will never. I'm telling you. I have a type one diabetic son. I did research on him when he was asleep and I saw what, what, what would happen. Cause I wanted to make sure that he was on the right path and the right trajectory to make sure he's going to be healthy. It is not possible to have a high, carb high carbohydrate diet and have a healthy type one diabetic period. There is, I get into debates on forums all the time in on social media with pharmacists, even that say, Sean, you don't know the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes is. Type 1 diabetics do not have to monitor what they eat, and they don't have to monitor their, their carbs. B.S. <laughs> That's a, a lie. lie. It's That's a, lie. a complete lie. I'll give you a good book to read. It's called Diabetes Solutions by Dr. Berenstein. Um, he was a type 1 diabetic diagnosed in the, in, in the 1940s. He is now 90-something and has an A1C of less than 5. It's usually 4.8. He does. I think he tests once a week. He actually, he's a type 1 diabetic. Wasn't he? Wasn't he instrumental in in starting personalized glucose testing? Handheld, they wouldn't have hand they wouldn't have handheld devices if it wasn't for him. Because the doctors at the time thought um, patients didn't know how to interpret them, right? Yeah, didn't know how to interpret them, and it could it could never be done on a large scale. So doctor, so at that point he was an engineer, and uh, what he did is he actually um, went back to med school so people would believe him, and then wrote the papers, and the rest is history. And so, um, and haven't you personally talked to him? I, I have on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. When you, cause you were, when you were, uh, I was researching how to treat my son. Your this son, is the right? only way to do it. And it has a lot of, if you're type one diabetic, it has a lot of information about type two diabetes too. I skipped those chapters cause that's all. And he talks about it. It's all environmental. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good book and it will change how you treat your diabetes, but that's not a laboratory test. That is a personalized medicine test. Again, type one diabetics. That's what, that's what he was finding was the problem is he would have to go get these laboratory tests. He couldn't control them himself. So you would go in in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, once a month and get your get your urine tested, not even blood back then. 
and which is a whole different story. That's not even accurate because it's not systemic. Um, it doesn't talk about what's happening. It talks about what happened. But it was too late. Well, then they had to adjust your – but believe me, endocrinologists still do that today. They still do that. Well, I mean, look at look what we do when we chase hemoglobin A1C. Exactly. I mean, we chase those all the time, and, yeah. and they're a 90-day reflection of what your glucose is. Right. I mean, I remember when I learned about it in pharmacy school and it was just first coming out and how it was going to revolutionize the industry. The honest-to-gosh truth is, is that in some ways when we get more of these tests, it, it, it gives people a – you know, in some ways it gives them a, a reason to cheat. You know, because like A1C, for instance – if their glucose was 400 during one day, it's not going to affect their A1C that much over a long yeah. term. So if they got to turn in their glucose numbers, they know what's happening. Here, here again, they know what's happening. And that's why we don't have to have tests for this. Right. People know when they're when they're not eating well. People know when they're not moving right, um, yeah. whether they're diabetic or not. I mean, like no. you say, let's just look in the mirror. No, I'll give you an example of, of a test that I always, not always, but usually fail. And you'll have to help me out with some of the names of these, but it's the bun test, the creatinine test. Um, what's what's another kidney test? Uh, creatinine. Creatinine. What? What? But isn't there? There's the bun. What else? Creatinine. Bun. Uh, maybe protein. Um, um, maybe. Um, you know, you can do an ultrasound of your kidneys, but creatinine. Creatinine is one where um, that comes from muscle mass. So traditionally, anybody that has a lot of muscle mass. So men's creatinine is obviously higher than a woman's creatinine number. And um, anybody that has a lot of muscle mass will have a larger creatinine for obvious reasons. Well, doctors won't catch that. Mine's pretty. Mine's on the borderline high, maybe even a little bit high. I'm not as muscular as you are. Yours is higher than mine because you're a bodybuilder. So it, 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 it um, looks at the breakdown of muscle mass. So if you are a strength trainer or even an endurance athlete where you're breaking down muscle all the time, it's going to excrete it in your kidneys and it's going to look high. But as a clinician, you should look at that and say, wait a minute, this guy works out a lot. He's an athlete. His creatinine is going to be high because he's breaking down muscle all the time. Now, I know as a bodybuilder, you don't like to believe that because you don't like to be catabolic. But no matter what you are, oh. you just have a higher muscle mass. Yeah. So that creatinine is going to be higher. I've seen doctors literally, I mean, freak out and think somebody's going into renal failure when they have a high creatinine. But you look at the guy, it's like, uh, I, I don't think there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. And so that's when I always fail. But, you know, and, and so I talked to you about it because I had some doctors and, and unfortunately doctors don't really know about it. And they think it, they think actually, you know, high protein diets cause this. It's not. It's the muscle mass. And that's why in the literature many years ago, high protein diets supposedly lead to kidney failure. No, uh, -uh. I'll tell you what leads to kidney failure. Uh, insulin resistance and high carbohydrate diets. Well, and why do you think um, kidney failure is at an all-time high in America because of type two diet? It's not because of bodybuilders. It, it's, not, <laughs> it's because of diabetics, right? So, I mean, the, the, the nephrologists, nephrologists, and kidney centers love diabetes. Yeah, because they they are over the last few decades they have exploded because right. so many people are in renal failure because of their diabetes. So, high protein diets do not do that. It's actually insulin resistance that causes the inflammation. I don't remember the exact biochemical pathway. I was just reading it the other day, and I forgot about it already. But it's it's high carbohydrate diets, and so well. Let's think about it. Let's just think about evolutionarily speaking. Okay, so as hunters, Shane, when we killed an animal, in fact, you and I had a podcast on this. We talked about how much protein can you absorb at once. Well, when we killed an animal, 
you know, hundreds of years ago, and we would feast on this animal, basically pure protein and fat. We didn't go into renal failure. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. <laughs> and that was a lot of protein. It was I mean, a lot of protein. You lot of protein. With pounds yeah. of meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so, so I've had it. I, I, and I can't remember the test now, but, but, um, uh, cis, uh, I should look it up. But, um, do you remember the kidney test that you can do? But Sean Baker recommends it. That's what he does because he fails it all the time, too. I, I want to say cisplatin A, but that doesn't sound right. No, that's a drug. It's yeah, I know. Clearance. Maybe, maybe creatinine clearance, but it's based no. on. Clearance. No. Um, yeah, look it up so we can share it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a quick quick look. Um, let's see. Let's see. Well, why he's looking that up? Um, let Let's just go over some things that we already went over, and that and that's basically is, you know, as as healthcare professionals, and I tell my patients this all the time. My job is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. That is what I feel my job is. So, um, and. And you as a patient or an individual, you don't see a healthcare professional, but what, an hour a month maybe? So, but you're with yourself 24 hours a day. So we can help educate you on, on going down a healthy path, but you have to take it, you have to take charge of your own health, period. In fact, I wrote a book about this. And if anybody would like to get that book, it is um, on Amazon. And it's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Number one seller on Amazon. It was a uh, um, available on Kindle, available on audio, and available on paperback. And basically, it goes into a little bit of my journey to start with. And, you know, I was obese once. So, you know, when I, I get called fat shaming and all that kind of stuff, I, I'm not fat shaming people. I, I'm, I'm telling people that obesity is dangerous. And I was there once. And um, I want, I, I love people and that's why I want them. That's why I'm talking about obesity being dangerous because I don't want them to be obese and die an unnecessary um, early death. Did you find it, Shane? I didn't. Um, GFR is another one that I, that I did. Yeah. Glomerular yeah. filtration rate. That's true. I, are yeah. you sure that's not the one he used? Oh, I'm sure it's not. No, there's a specific test that I had done and I ordered it and I'll probably order it every time. Maybe or maybe not actually, because <laughs> I don't think it really matters, but um trying to get back to this one second um anyway just so i can see um anyway point point of it is if you find that let us know and we will put it in our show on our edited show notes yeah i absolutely will um okay here we go Streamyard. so i i can't find it but um so so actually what i did is i, I you know because i didn't want my primary care doctor to freak out so he's like well go get an ultrasound in your kidneys okay so I, and I, and I told you it's going to be fine. Yeah. And it was. So I went to a cash provider. I mean, does it look like you're in renal failure? Ser yeah. Serious. Actually, you know, it was cool because I, I liked the guy that actually did the ultrasound sound test. He's like, you don't have bad kidneys. When I walked in, he says, you don't have bad kidneys. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, so, yes. So he's looking at him and it's no problem. And you know what? I will never get that test done again. I mean, I might get annual tests. I, I actually don't even see the need for it. I don't. <laughs> I know. I, I know. It's about how you feel. I mean, I've optimized everything that I want to optimize. I have a good diet. I know what happens. I mean, um, you know, I, I had some issues with um, with a diet just recently um, after I came off my national championship, and my diet drastically changed. It didn't get bad. It got different. 
And my body responded in a weird way. And I actually had to test some numbers. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, but you know what? Bottom line is, here's how I fixed it. I went on an elimination diet. I actually didn't need to do tests to do that. Right. But I, but I, you know, even though I don't eat poorly, I started getting psoriasis. I actually started getting my toenails actually started turning yellow. It was really gross. It's because of my diet change. It wasn't that I eat bad. It just wait a minute. I, you didn't need a fancy biotech drug for your psoriasis. <laughs> I am disappointed, Shane. They make good drugs for that stuff. No, change my diet. Gone. No, I would actually get like little welts and stuff on my fingers and I'd itch all over. And originally it started happening to me with my, my feet and I started eliminating things and it was weird. I mean, I actually, what, what happened is I used to, during when I was prepping for my national championship, I was eating probably 20 eggs a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. My body actually became allergic to eggs. Are you surprised? No, because you, you ate too many. Your body said, no, that's enough. So I had to, I, and so when I started eliminating things, I'm like, really? I got to eliminate eggs, and I did. Now you know what? That was six months ago. I just started eating eggs again, four or five a day, no problem now. Exactly, no problem. But I mean, also I, I had an issue with chicken. Believe it or not, you ate too much of it. I was eating three said you pounds, something different. Three pounds of chicken a day. Right. <laughs> it's another. It's this is another example, and Janice says this all the time about um, moderation. You know, we're, we're meant to, our bodies are meant to eat things in moderation usually. And, you know, 20 eggs a day, I mean, unless that's all you can do to stay alive, because there's probably times in human history where that's all they had at certain days. But for months and months at a time, that's not that's not necessary. And that's one of the reasons why there's seasons for things, whether it be fruits or vegetables, um, there's seasons. You, you don't have them all year long. Right. Usually now, here's yeah. the problem. No, I agree with you. You know, in, in modern day culture, we do have them all year long because we've got all kinds of refrigeration and freezers. Should we be eating eating them all year long? That's that's a debate. Maybe not. Yeah. No, I, I I don't disagree with you. And it, what was interesting is I so I probably had my labs done three times during during this last year where I I changed my diet and I was you know starting to itch and and it, it was diagnosed my primary care driver um, provider is um, psoriasis. And um, I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. And, you know, so he's like, well, let's use some cream and stuff. I'm like, hey, I don't mind doing that, but I'm going to fix this problem. I'm not going to fix the symptom. I'm going to fix the problem. And I did. I, most that, people are willing to do that. You know, every night they'd put on this cream on their hands and their feet and wear the gloves. No. Or, or even worse, they inject some systemic drug that kills their immune system. <laughs> I mean, how many people are on these drugs and all they got to do is change their diet? Well, so my point of it is I – I chased those numbers for those three different times. I actually didn't need to. Right. My, my body was telling me that there was inflammation. And that that's the reason I don't like to treat symptoms. I mean, as a bodybuilder and somebody who wants to be healthy, if my body has psoriasis, if there's a reason, I got to fix that. Because right. it means I have inflammation. It means I'm not healthy. Guess what inflammation causes? Cancer, a whole bunch of other things right? Cancer is an inflammatory disease. That's why it has skyrocketed since our diets have changed over the last hundred years, period, period. Well, and, and let's look at it like this. It's like you wanted, to, you wanted to fix the problem, not treat the symptom. That's right. So look at what happens when we chase laboratory values. Here's a perfect example. So, hey, you're a type two diabetic. Your, your insulin, your, your glucose is over 200. We're going to give you insulin and we'll lower that glucose great. My insulin, my glucose is 70. Now, of course your insulin levels are over a hundred. <laughs> right. 
giving insulin to a type 2 diabetic, yes, listen up and tell type 2 diabetics this if you know one or if you are one. Giving insulin to a type 2 diabetic is like putting gasoline on a house fire, period. I'll say it over and over again. You don't have <laughs> insulin. It's just like you know, talking about with the with the, with the psoriasis. You don't lack some fancy drug. Eliminate what is causing it. Yeah, and, you know, and there there might be can't always the answer. There might be cases where you can't solve it. Okay, I get it. That's why there are are, are needs for therapeutics and medications, right? But why wouldn't you try it? Why wouldn't you try it? It's the most healthy thing. Well, I'll tell you why I wouldn't try it. Laziness. Lazy laziness. And insurance will cover their drugs. Insurance, yeah, insurance won't cover your food. Yeah, of course. It was, man, insurance is costing fifteen hundred bucks a month, but man, it's covered. You're you're right. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. But you, but here's what people don't think about. Think about the psoriasis, where my diet was telling me something's going on here and it's causing inflammation. So now then you you relate that to insulin with a type two diabetic putting putting gasoline on a house fire. You still have inflammation in your body. Period. That's my point. Right. And and it is absolute fact now, obesity and cancer are linked. Absolutely. There's a correlation. Absolutely. I, you know, and it, all kinds of cancers, whether it be breast cancer, prostate cancer, um, whatever. I mean, they're seeing a lot of these cancers are not genetic. You might have the gene to be susceptible to it. They're caused by environmental factors. Absolutely. And a lot of that is, guess what we do every single day? We eat. Yeah, a lot of it is. Or you smoke or you drink. Okay. So yeah. those are the main things that are going to cause cancer. Smoking, drinking, eating. When I say drink, I mean alcohol, right? That's what's going to cause it. And so anyway, but were my laboratory tests necessary? No, probably not. My my elimination diet figured it. I mean, yeah, I had to eat what they say. Um, I went on this certain protocol and I think I had to eat bison and salmon for 10 days. Guess what? Gone. <laughs> Gone. That's awesome. Gone. Well, it was. And then, I mean, and then I started introducing some berries and bananas, and right. I don't normally eat that stuff anyway, but it was just going to see, I'm going to see, hey, were there problems? Then I started introducing peanut butter. Oops, that was a problem. You know, I, I, this is weird. It's not now. I've started introducing it again. Believe it or not, um, stevia was a problem. Stevia yeah. is a problem for me. Now, it's like, I, well, it's a plant. Stevia is a plant. It is, and it's and it's concentrated once you put it and, into. Well, a and it's from it's from stevia leaves, the leaf of the plant. Yeah, leaves are not meant to be eaten. They're In not. General, they're bitter. I mean, they're, they're very highly. They're plants that are very highly defended, so animals don't eat them. Right. So insects don't eat them. And I use stevia just to let everybody know. I use it. Yeah. I mean, but I'm just saying. So, uh, but certainly what it did show me too is I actually, and I think I've even gone on your podcast and said it was okay and it, it might be okay, but I also had to stop um, using any artificial sweeteners. What are, what are some of them? Aspartame. What are some of the other ones? Um, Saccharin. Yeah. They were causing me issues. They were causing me issues. Now here's why. Okay. I was on a chicken and egg white diet for about three months and it sucked. It won me a national championship. Am I saying it's healthy? No, but that's what I do to win. That's what I do to win. You know, and I, it was. I was absolutely shredded and peeled. And you you don't get that with X amount of body fat. It's got to be low single digits, one or two, three percent. Not healthy, right? But you know what? I was eating, you know, stevia like candy because I didn't have any other sweets, and so I had all these right. cravings. 
You know, I didn't eat berries or bananas or grapes or anything. And I was, I was in a caloric deficit for long periods of time. I was in starvation mode. Okay. So I was hungry for anything and everything. Okay. So it just freaked my body out. My gut biome was probably screwed up. I think I probably had leaky gut, but I went on this, you know, so I'm like, okay, I, I, I worked with a friend. She was great. And she says, well, you should go on this elimination diet and we'll test you first. And then we'll test you after. And, and I did that. I think I did that, like I said, three times, but I can say after my 10 days of elimination diet, God, salmon. Well, is one thing, I, I mean, I, I like the elimination part, but um, salmon is high in omega threes. Yep. Omega threes are notorious for fixing skin problems. Well, and, and I, and now I take omega threes, you know, um, and, and I was, I did during my prep for um, bodybuilding and I stopped taking them. Was that the only reason? I don't know. Is it the same when you supplement? Probably not. But you know what I try to do? I'm not, not as good as it as I was, but I try to get salmon once a week now. Once a week. Yeah. And it's not the problem is in Idaho, especially, I don't get good. It's hard salmon. to get good salmon. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I'm sure, you know, trout's a cold water fish. Trout probably I don't like trout though either. But a good salmon, like if you're in Seattle or on the Atlantic coast, the Atlantic salmon, I'll, I'll it's pretty good. But but yeah, most of especially like tilapia and some of these other fish, they're basically farm raised. It's just not the same. No, and they don't no. they don't have the omega three. So anyway, were those laboratory tests necessary? No. Will I do them again? Probably not. You know, I mean, so um, I don't know. Maybe once a year I will. Maybe once every two years. It's been a year since I've had any testing done. I'm not, I don't plan on doing it regularly. I, I just, I don't. I mean, if I see an issue, I probably will. But again, you know what? I, You and I are educated enough. You know what? I can always talk to you about it too or, or do some of my own research where let's just say I start feeling weird. Well, I'll check two or three things, not a battery of things. I'm not going to go do, do this untargeted, meta, um, uh, you know, a tabulomics where I'm going to try to look at every single, yeah, because it's going to be different all the time. Then you're going to go pick one. Oh, see, that's upregulated. That one's downregulated. You'll chase, you'll chase it. No, no. <laughs> I, I, there's a really good conference that I was at. Oh, this is probably 20 years ago, 15 at least, where genomics, proteomics, metabolomics was all starting to get really popular. And some of the things that we're chasing, T3, T4, TSH, insulin, um, glucose, these are all, this is all about the metabolism. And you're, you're, you can chase these numbers and you can see what happens and you call it metabolomics, what happens when you eat or exercise and you can look at the numbers before and after and you can call it, do they go up or do they go down? So is it upregulated or downregulated, right? And so this one guy, he comes in and he's a, it's an analytical chemistry um, conference. And so he comes in and he's like, yeah, so we took this patient's blood. We did all these tests and we looked at NMR and here's what happened before and after the treatment. And he shows these numbers and the numbers changed after the treatment. And then he says, then we did IR, these numbers before and after. Then we did mass spectrometry before and after. Then we did GCMS before and after. And he said, so he says, so what we figured out is it came down to, and people need to personally think about this too, if they don't have insurance insurance but the insurance is just robbing them but anyway yeah. it's, it's not he was a he was an english guy so he had an accent he said it's not metabolomics or it's not really genomics or it's not it's not proteomics it's economics exactly <laughs> exactly and exactly that, right that's the problem with our system right now is insurance will pay for a lot of these tests especially they talk about well it's preventative care preventative care 
is like right here. Don't, drink, don't smoke. Right here is preventative care. <laughs> exactly. Has nothing to do with laboratory tests. Has nothing to do with in, with insurance. <laughs> no. Right here. Chapter six of my book, <laughs> the best health insurance you have is how you treat your body. It's not some policy you can buy. So right. don't, and 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 be very leery if an insurance company is paying for preventative care. That's not the kind of care I want because usually that's mandated by the government. <laughs> Do I need to say anything else? Yeah, no. So, so it's, it, it's just, it's been an interesting journey and they, and the history of testing. I, I love the tests that we actually can do. And it absolutely saves lives. I mean, I'm involved in analytical chemistry. I've developed some of these tests. I've developed these assays, so to speak. I've developed some of the technology. I'm involved in, in some of that latest research. Uh, are they necessary on a personal basis all the time? No, I think they're overused. You know, I, I really think we have to get back to the doctor-patient relationship where, doc, I don't feel good. Whereas the standard of care now is, well, let's do a whole battery of tests, okay? maybe once to see if there's something glaring. Okay. But Sean, you know, as well as I do, and I wanted to get into this a lot of times, here's what, here's what comes back, you know, gosh, doc, I, I, you know, I have no libido. I'm tired all day. I'm not as strong as I used to be. Well, um, oh, look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Well, gee, I wonder. No. So I, I'm going to go on. Right. I'm not, you know, um, Hey, Maybe, maybe this person can't get an erection, what, whatever it is, you know, all these personal things, right? They just, they don't feel well, right? And their life is suffering. They're depressed, right? So you go to the doctor, you get these battery of tests run and guess what? They come back and they say, oh, you're normal. No doc, you weren't listening to me. I feel like dog I'm crap. I'm not normal. <laughs> no. I'm not normal for me. No, but well. The tests say you're normal. We well, wait a minute. The tests you test on, doctor, are for sick people. I'm personally <laughs> sick. Well, that's right. I don't thing. want to be a normal sick person. I want to be an optimal person. Right. That's another thing we can talk about. Is what what is the range of these tests? Remember, I know I, I had a, a good friend mentor. He was ninety some years old when he when he passed away two or three years ago. Okay, um, and he had not gone to the doctor since like 1951, something like that. Like the chain. That's probably why I lived into his 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it could be, right? But the point of it was he didn't have laboratory tests. No. no. It, it, and he didn't go to the doctor every single year. No. You know, well, here's one thing that you told me early on. Are you done with that conversation? Yeah. I want to get back to what normal is here in a minute. Yeah. Okay. So I remember years ago, you told me normal, you told me about data and, you know, cause you're an analytical chemist. That's what you do. You do data stuff. Your data, you, you analyze data. Here's the thing. Why do a test? This is why I quit chasing laboratory tests, whether it be a testosterone level, whether it be, you know, I know how I feel, when I feel, what I'm supposed to feel like. Is the data going to change treatment? No. Right. I don't care what my glucose comes back tomorrow or right now. It is not going to change what I do. What do I know do? how to exercise. I know what my glucose does when I exercise, when I eat, when I eat bad, when I eat good. It's not going to change. I don't. What, what, the number means nothing to me. So if it's not going to change the outcome, then why even do the treatment? It's yeah. like this. Like for instance, I see people that will they'll that the, the aura rings. We've talked about sleep. The aura rings. So somebody says, "Well, you should do an aura ring." You know what? No, 
I don't want more data. I analyze enough data already when it comes to my my exercise. I don't need more data. And there is nothing that ring is going to do to make me sleep better. I know what I need to do to sleep well. So why would I do it? It's like a it's like a um, a sleep study. You know, our healthcare system makes a lot of study makes a lot of money on sleep studies. Wait a minute. The number one reason people don't sleep and they have sleep apnea is because they're overweight. Okay, so. Why or they're or drinking, drinking. Correct. before they go to bed. Correct. That's correct. So why do a sleep study to get a CPAP when you can just eliminate those things? I mean, seriously. So one other thing, and I'll let you go back to what's normal. Okay. My wife is really good about giving this example. And this is so true. And I know people hate when I give analogies because I use simple analogies. I don't call myself a smart guy. I don't call myself a scientist. I like to just be rational. When, when, when you take your dog or a horse, give the animal, whatever, into a veterinarian, they know if it's sick. They're like, oh, yeah, your, your dog doesn't look good. What's the first question they ask, Shane? What's he, what's he eating? In, what, yeah. What's he eating? What you been feeding it? <laughs> the horse's mouth? Oh, the horse has bad teeth. No wonder he's lost 50 pounds. He can't eat. Oh. Well, oh, no. But with humans, oh, well. You lack XYZ drug. Let me give you this drug. That's what your problem is. Or that's surgery. Standard, that's standard of care now. And you think about what our grandparents used to do. We standard of care, grand- like Jenna says, is not quality of care. No. And so standard of care, it's just what they're trained to do. You can't blame doctors, but at the same time, it is their responsibility. Uh, I, it's I've their been responsibility. in the healthcare enough. I, I, I blame my colleagues. I agree. I really do. I agree. They should they should know what the healthcare system is teaching and what's best for patients. Yeah. And but think about what our grandma used to do, right? Because they, I mean, they didn't have running water where she grew up. I mean, they were dirt poor, so they you didn't go to the doctor, and you had all your kids at home. You just didn't go to the doctor. You, I, I, he, he probably didn't even come out and visit. I mean, they lived in the Missouri Ozarks. I mean, so they probably. I mean, seriously, it's just how it was, right? <laughs> and what she'd always say when you'd say, oh, "I don't feel well," have you been pooping? That's a good question. That's what the vet always asks, right? Is your like when you say your dog's sick, is he pooping or peeing? Well, no, he's not actually. That's an issue. (laughs) That might mean your kidneys or your bowels are not working. Or you're not eating. Or you're not eating or something. Yeah, right, exactly. Or or you're eating, but it's not going, it's not being eliminated. That's a big problem. That's a problem. Right? And so you have some kind of metabolic thing going on. But was there a laboratory? Is there a laboratory test for it? Why why don't seriously? So obviously our grandma used to ask, ask that. I assume doctors used to ask that question 50, 60, 70 years ago. They don't anymore. Why? Now, I will say we've got one good doctor watching right now, part of our fan club. Thank you, Dr. Madeira. Hey, how are um, you? Hi, Sam. And, 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 and he would ask those kind of questions. So Yeah, that's true. You know that. And, it's exactly true. And so yeah. – but, but let's go back to what normal is. And um, Dr. Sam talks about this a lot. And I've seen his data and I've seen some other papers too, right? So let's go back to what normal is, right? So now you go, you go to your doctor, let's say you're a middle-aged man or even a woman. I won't get into the hormones. You know hormones better than I do because um, women need testosterone just as bad as men do. And it does the same thing. And it doesn't make you aggressive. It actually is a mood stabilizer. It makes you actually less irritable. There's lots of data on that. So it's not a toxic male thing if you have testosterone. No. In fact, the people who go shoot up post offices and schools, they usually have low testosterone levels. They absolutely do. They're more irritable. Okay. So anyway, um, let's just think about testosterone. Okay. So you go to your doctor, you say, Hey, Oh man, I, I'm just, I don't, I'm not energetic. I'm depressed. I, you know, um, 
I, I just don't have the energy I used to. I, you know, I don't want to get off the couch. Maybe you have erectile dysfunction, whatever it is, right? And you go to the doctor and it, he's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's test your hormones. So you test your hormones, your testosterone comes back. And it's like, well, it's normal. Okay. Now you, you didn't hear me doc, but, <laughs> but here's the, let's think about what normal means. <laughs> normal 30 years ago, it might even be 20. Dr. Sam could, could actually um, weigh in here. 20 years ago, the normal testosterone levels of a male were 50% more than they are today. Absolutely. So when I first got into this business tw almost 25 years ago, um, we would never see, I wouldn't say never, that's a strong word. We wouldn't see 20-year-olds with suboptimal testosterone. We see it very, very frequently now. Dr. Sam, could comment on that. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. But, but let's think about this. Testosterone is meant to keep us vital as men. It's meant to keep us vital to run. Sean, Sean careful. Live. Not vital as men, vital as people. <clears throat> Correct. Don't don't be because here's what here's what some people are going to say. Oh, it's a toxic male masculinity thing. Well, let them say that. <laughs> I know you don't care about that, right? <laughs> no, no, well, because I, I care about facts, facts over feelings. Okay? <laughs> and 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 we're meant to be strong. We're meant to be run after things, and our testosterone meant to be high. Well, if you're sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and drinking your wine, I mean, so you, your body says, no, this guy doesn't need testosterone. So you'll see 20-year-olds with suboptimal testosterone. All the time. Dr. Sam, if you want to comment on that, you could, you're you welcome to very frequently. Yeah. Oh, my and, God. And the number's getting – the threshold's getting lower and lower for age. It used to be – we hardly ever did anything with men under 40. Now it's under 30. But, but, but I mean, ser seriously, here we go. I mean, call me whatever. Call me a pig or whatever. But look at most men. I, I mean, seriously, it, it, it's, it, and then Shane, do you remember seeing the picture of our grandpa when he was uh, in, in the Marines 70 years ago? Yeah. I mean, the guy was freaking ripped. Yeah. I mean, you and I were wrestlers in high school. And we, and when we saw those pictures, we were in good shape. He was freaking ripped. And so <laughs> were his buddies and everybody was everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so do you think grandpa Needham's testosterone was, was optimal? Oh yeah, <laughs> he didn't need to I test sure it. Was. He didn't need to test it. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's interesting. I did not know that it's it's that. Oh much yeah, of a, of very prevalent. So here's a comment Dr. Sam has. Um, one year, my insurance in Washington State said vasectomies and migraine med medication counted as preventative care. See what I was telling you, Shane? Now, Dr. Sam, if you're still listening, this doesn't surprise me because vasectomies would be preventative care to somebody in the government or healthcare. Um, the industry that doesn't want to pay for extra people. So it's population control. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, oh if you have migraines and migraine medication, preventative care, if you have migraines, chances are, especially if you're a woman, that's why women have more migraines. It's a hormone issue. It's a cycling issue, usually progesterone topic for another conversation. Then we got another fan, um, Tammy Reese or Tammy Freese. Thank you, Tammy, for watching. So we talked about normal. We got about five minutes left, Shane. Um, I try to I try to wrap these up. We could talk for hours. You know that. Uh, I try to keep these uh, to an hour, a limit to an hour. So as we wrap this up, I mean, how would you like to conclude this conversation? Well, let me talk to you about one one other thing about the, my kind of elimination diet and, and a very common laboratory test today. And um, <clears throat> somebody, including maybe my primary care provider, I can't remember. You know, when I told him I, I, I'm. It, you know, it, it, maybe food is causing my psoriasis, right? 
Well, let's do a battery of allergy tests. And so I had to put my analytical thinking cap on and think, wait a minute, what am I going to do with that data that right. I can't do through an elimination diet? <laughs> right. Right. So I didn't take the test. <laughs> and then believe me, a- allergy tests, they're making a lot of money nowadays. But it's like, why not just go? And it's more healthy to do an elimination diet anyway. And, and what I what I found, I'm not surprised. 80% of the people are, are um, uh, um, sensitive to gluten. And I was, so I don't eat any gluten anymore. I used to be able to, last year, I used to eat, be able to eat gluten once in a while. And I'm glad I can't, I can't even eat like one cookie now. Like I, I'll, I, I, I run on airplanes a lot. No, you didn't do a test to figure that out. No. You're, well, you did. Well, I feel like me. You know what? I know if I eat the wrong kind of dairy product, uh, yeah. My GI <laughs> I don't need a test to tell me that. Right, but but think about the dairy products. And then that's the problem with this test. They might say you're allergic to whey. Uh, I don't believe it. Are you allergic to whey in hard cheese? Mozzarella cheese? Exactly. They're, they're different. And that's my key. They're, you know, like ricotta cheese. Well, I cannot tolerate ricotta cheese. How the how biology puts a cheese together I mean, is different. I don't know, know what it is. You know as an analytical chemist, when you have a raw substance – plant-based or animal-based, we only know what we know to test for. Yeah. But we don't know what's not in there because we haven't tested for it because we don't know what's in there. That's the whole problem. That is the the problem with natural medicine, with pharmaceutical companies trying to isolate medicine, active ingredients out of a plant. You don't know what you don't know. Right. So, you know, red yeast rice is a perfect example Lovastatin came from red yeast rice. You know, it's the first statin, which was going to revolutionize cardiovascular disease. Of course, cardiovascular disease has been is at an all-time high 30 years after the statins came out. Go figure that one out. So not a hard thing to figure out. But um, but the problem is in the statins called all, all kinds of side effects, whereas the red yeast rice didn't necessarily. Kind of like white willow bark with aspirin. Acetylsalicylic acid was one of the first drugs isolated from bare pharmaceuticals out of white willow bark back in the 18. 18- um, 90s or 1880s maybe but all of a sudden when they came out with aspirin it caused gi problems it caused um, tinnitus it caused um, kidney problems white willow bark never did why because there's another ingredient in there probably that works synergistically or also another ingredient that decreases side effects you don't know what you don't know well think about how much bark you'd probably have to eat you know, you well, could, that's true too. Probably, so it's so right. it's a mini- but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It works for fevers. It works for pain. Yeah, it works right. for inflammation. No, so it's, it's more than just the dose. Totally, totally, and and the active ingredient. You don't know what that active ingredient actually is. You don't know. You don't know. There you may don't be know, synerg- you don't know to look for. <laughs> there may be synergistic compounds Correct. in that in, in in that dose or that bark or whatever it is that are causing other issues. But but I just found out every time I was on an airplane, I usually eat those. You know, fifty calorie biscuit things they give you. One hundred and twenty in two cookies. There's one hundred and twenty. Okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever. So I'm like, ah, eh, you know, it's is it good for me? Not really, but you know, if this is the worst that I eat, oh, it's okay. Well, by the time I'm landing, my fingers are just itching like crazy. I'm like, and I finally figured it out. So I, you know, what's cool about it, I am actually thankful that I'm now allergic, sensitive, whatever to gluten. Because you know what. Gluten is in all kinds of crap. And to me, it's so annoying that, you know, I just don't want to eat it. Well, and that's why the topic for the conversation, but that's why I don't necessarily think it's gluten with everybody. Look at what's in, look at what oh. kind of foods gluten is oh. in. Totally. You know, if a lot of people drink gluten-free beer, are you serious? 
Here's what here's what I ask. Here's actually, gluten-free beer. Oh, well, I'm allergic to gluten. Okay, well, keep drinking the beer. That's healthy. <laughs> here's what I actually asked ask somebody. They didn't do the test. If I was really allergic to gluten and I was on, for example, a $100,000 a year drug, which some people are. Yes. I said, you know what I would do? Just I'm, I'm just a curious guy and I want to be healthy. You know, I would actually go pick or grab whole wheat right from the right from the wheat truck, yes. stuff it in your mouth and eat it. See what happens. My, my guess is you wouldn't be allergic. Now, my guess there is, is some GMO stuff going on and <laughs> yeah. medically modified, but my guess is you wouldn't be allergic to it. No, so it's something, it's something else. I agree. Right. But exactly. but think about what usually in our processed foods diet, gluten means crap. It means it is processed food, whether it be pasta, breads, um, cookies, cakes. It just I am very thankful now. I just can't eat that stuff. I, I shouldn't say can't. I choose not to. Right, I don't want to be itching. You have, you have an intolerance to it's, it. Right. It's, it's irritating to me. The answer is not some test to prove it. No. The answer is not some drug to, to so you can no. eat it all of a sudden. I mean, My seriously. Body, could, could I have went and somebody actually recommended to me, well, you should go get a gluten sensitivity test. Why? I just stopped eating cookies. <laughs> What's the point? So that's right. the whole point. It's like, why would I go get a laboratory test? When my body told me there's an issue here, my body now, told me there's an issue. I was just discussing with a doctor last week or the week before who specializes in, um, you know, functional medicine. And because I've always thought, you know, Jen and I have always talked about it. It's like, you know what? We've eaten bread for thousands of years. I mean, look, it's in the Bible. It talks about bread in the Bible. So I do think there's something to do with the plants being modified. And there's probably more to it that I don't know. Well, I, I actually, either. you might be right. And I, it's probably hard to prove. I all I actually think with a bread, for example, um, that it's how it's processed. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Let's, again, let's just think about this. Let's just think, you know, uh, extreme examples because models are always good to think about, right? You take the wheat, mortar and pestle, you grind it up, right. and you make your bread. I bet you're not going to have an issue. Exactly. I just right. bet you, you bake it in your own. You make that the flour, and you bake it in your own oven. You lose all the raw ingredients. Yep. You you're probably won't. Wrong. I agree. You probably won't. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, but so is there a need for laboratory tests? Yes, I think in extreme examples, but you definitely have to know, understand your body, understand what your body is telling you. And there's so much information available and it's not misinformation. There's a lot of information available about what these laboratory tests do and how you can actually interpret them. So educate yourself. You know, that's my that's my call to action. Educate yourself. So when your doctor says, oh, man, you have a high creatine level, but, you know, uh, you, you have a lot of muscle mass or you just, you know, had a great workout the day before and you broke down muscle mass. Well, yeah, you're going to you're going to have some some high levels there or a high bun ratio or something like that. So just know, know your body is telling you something and 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 be educated enough so you can talk to your doctor about it. Right. Know how to know how to interpret the know how to interpret the labs appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, as, as always, our goal here at Health Solutions is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. So, Shane. Um, um, tell us if anybody has any questions, the best way to get a hold of you. Um, you can get a hold of me at, you know, you can give me an email. I'm on I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. You can just uh, type my name. You'll probably see my profile. You can also find my website at drsneedham.com. And you can email me through there. Again, drsneedham.com. That has some of my um, personal um, information on it as well. So visit there. And um, 
Yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys. I really, really enjoy this. I also just want people to be healthy. I'm I'm absolutely a direct speaker and a direct thinker. And what I mean by that is I, I'm going to give facts because people aren't used to facts anymore. People are told certain things that want to just make them feel good. And I, I just want to give you facts that are actually going to be better for you in the end. I mean, I'm also a coach. And it's like sometimes I have to tell my athletes what they don't want to hear. And that's actually a really good coach. And that's why I'm thankful for Sean and his his wife, Janet, that they tell people what you don't want to hear sometimes. But it's like if you're obese and you got to lose weight, you got to lose weight. That's just bottom bottom line. And, and it's that's not what people have the courage to say nowadays. And so I'm thankful for um, Sean and Janet and their podcast and and then wanting to educate and, and empower um, people through health solutions. So thank you very much. Great, great opportunity. I really, really enjoyed this. And if you ever have, want me on again, I'd be glad to be on. Uh, of course, I'll be on again. I think you've been on four or five, six times, something like that. Yeah, it's always fun. You are our first guest ever. and you know, That's now, right. I forgot about that. That's and cool. now we're at the 300 and some episodes. So um, Tammy, um, thank you for the kind words. Um, as always. And Aunt Hallie, thank you for watching and listening. Um, we really appreciate it. So thank you, Hallie. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in today to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Wednesday, I believe, the day before Thanksgiving. You can look it up on my Facebook or on our YouTube because it'll be there. So we stream live on YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Twitter now. And so you can look look me up there and find out when the new, next podcast is. But we're going to have Dr. Marion Moss on the podcast. We've had her on before. She talked. We talked a little bit about insurance today and how insurance is, you know, uh, health insurance is don't let them dictate your health. She's going to talk about how coverage. Her motto is she's going to talk about her most recent book, but or paper. But her motto is coverage doesn't equal care. So just like we talked about a little bit today, just because you're covered on insurance and something somebody they cover something, that doesn't mean it's good care. So so tune into that. Watch for that, Marion Moss. Thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.